folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Matthew Collar here. Before we get into the show today with Ian Hartit of BFF's Fantasy Podcast, wanted to give you an update on camp from Thursday. The Vikings decided to practice, while a number of other teams around the league elected not to hold a practice to show solidarity with the NBA, WNBA, MLB teams who elected not to play the other night in order to send a message concerning the shooting of Jacob Blake. Mike Zimmer explained the team's decision to practice. We talked about it. There really wasn't much uh, discussion about not practicing. I mean, there was a lot of different things uh, discussed, but uh, that really wasn't, you know, we're, we're tr- the, the thing that came out of it is, you know, we want to make change and um, us missing practice one day is a, is a 24-hour shock value and we feel like we can do more things with, with our football team and with their voices as we continue to move forward. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've been proud of our our social justice group for the last, I don't know, three or four years that we've had them. Uh, they've done a great job, and uh, we're, we expect them to continue to move forward. But it was more about how we can help with uh, help with changing things, and, and not, not just in Minnesota, but nationwide. I also had a chance to ask Zimmer on Zoom call after practice what he learned from this process over the last few months since George Floyd's death and since he's become more involved in the team's social justice committee and their social justice efforts. And he told a story about his longtime friend, Andre Patterson, who was also on the Zoom call. And I think it's worth hearing. Well, I I think the biggest thing is learning, uh, for me, learning about... uh, some of the stories that these players have told of what's happened to them in the, in the past. And, and, the, and especially where 
you know, I haven't walked in their shoes. It's, it's totally different from, for me and them really educating myself on some of these. We had one player talk about, um, well, I can talk. You don't mind if I tell that story, Andre, do you about you in the, no, no I don't. Okay. So uh, Andre um, was, I mean, just things like this by being able to talk, you know, Andre, this is the first time I heard it. Andre told me he'd, he'd been pulled over three times and had guns pulled on him. Um, and he, he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't speeding. His blinker wasn't wrong. He wasn't changing lanes. They let him go each time. You know, that's not right. Um, and so hearing some of these stories that, you know, I haven't been able to walk in, in Andre's shoes or uh, some of the players. We had a player tell a story today, what happened to him, which is similar to what I'm talking about, Andre. Um, that that kind of opens your eyes about, you know, some some things that you don't know about because you haven't lived it. So I'm going to have a little more on this on a later podcast with my friend Manny Hill, but it's notable that Zimmer has come quite a ways in terms of listening to the issues that are important to his players and staff. Uh, Whether they're important to you guys listening or not, I don't know, but from covering the team, it's fascinating to see his evolution on this topic. We've wondered at times in the past about Zimmer's relationship with players and how that might be impacted by issues like this, and it appears that he's handled it in a way that it includes him evolving, and I think that that's very interesting, and it probably instills some confidence coming from his players and staff, maybe that wasn't there in past years. Uh, A couple of other notes, Daniil Hunter still wasn't practicing. If you've got that panic meter, you might want to flip it from yellow to orange on this one. We are getting really close to the start of the season, and to have Daniil Hunter still not practicing is concerning. Mike Zimmer was asked for an update, and guess what, everyone? He did not give one. A few other things. We've talked about B.C. Johnson being the number two, and we'll discuss that situation with Ian Harditz, but my takeaway so far is that I would not be concerned with Justin Jefferson, the fact that he is not the number two wide receiver and that B.C. Johnson is at this moment. Jefferson has made consistent plays in practice, and he was one of their top standouts again on Thursday. He's got the athleticism. He's clearly on a different level with some of his movement skills than the other wide receivers. This is not a Laquan Treadwell situation at all just because he's been more of a slot guy so far. And he's had numerous days where he's looked like one of the better receivers out there. So just a quick don't panic about Justin Jefferson at all yet um, update there. Mike Hughes, by the way, continues to play outside corner and base and then slot when they go into their nickel package, which is definitely the way that I think it stays going into the season. But just a quick thought on that. It puts a ton of pressure on Mike Hughes to fully grasp both of those positions. I know he's the most experienced, but he's not that experienced. And that will be interesting if he flips roles in the middle of games based on who's on the other side. Uh, That is quite the task for him to take on. And we will really find out this year about Mike Hughes, whether he was worth that first-round pick in 2018 or not. Uh, Seems like Dakota Dozier is gaining an edge on Avion Collins, or at very least he's taking more reps at left guard. And I'm guessing that the Vikings will make that official decision once they close practices to the media next week because that's generally how things get done in in the NFL sometimes. So uh, also let me give you uh, two names to watch, Miles Dorn and Jordan Fair. 
that's an undrafted safety and an undrafted linebacker, but they were both getting second-team reps these last couple of days, and I think they both have a chance to make the team. A guy that I would be a little concerned about making the team from the draft is James Lynch, who has stayed on the third team and the third team only and has not had a practice where he's been an impact player, so far as I can tell, when he's out there against the third team. So maybe that transition is not what they hoped so far for James Lynch. All right. Well, we'll see. So let's get to uh, Ian Harditz. Making his second appearance on the show, Ian Harditz, the fantasy genius at uh, Pro Football Focus. What is up, Ian? Appreciate you having me back on, man. Hell of an intro. But, yeah, ready to uh, talk some Vikings and maybe some of uh, their opponents. Who knows? You know, the uh, last time I had John, I think we started with Delvin Cook, and you were not nervous at all. You said, no, no big deal. He'll get that contract signed. He'll be out there putting up fantasy points in no time. Um, I still think that Delvin is going to play even if he doesn't have a contract, but it's getting a little hairy here, Ian. Yeah, so, you know, I was feeling good when training camp started. Dalvin reports, no problem. But then, you know, when Adam Schefter says something, I listen. And, you know, Shefty was saying uh, last week that, you know, if there is no contract resolution before the season starts, uh, he wouldn't be, you know, lining up to draft Dalvin uh, on his fantasy team. So I think, uh, you know, it's just uh, I've been talking a lot of fantasy strategy over these last few weeks. And, you know, in the first couple rounds of your draft, like what you don't want to do is just screw your team over. I mean, that's why we're talking about not drafting. Thing, uh, Leonard Fournette in round three and stuff like that. And I don't think it's to the point where you should, you know, put Dalvin on the do not draft list or anything like that. But, you know, in terms of this is a guy that's been, a, you know, the pretty much the consensus number five overall pick in fantasy the entire offseason. So at this point, you know, with the tiebreaker, I'm probably taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire over him. But I still think Dalvin, I mean, he's going to be a first round pick in, in, in all fantasy drafts and he probably still should be. I don't feel quite as confident as I did last time we talked, but, you know, I, I still think. As you said, uh, you know, gun to my head, I think he's out there week one getting his usual 20-plus touches. He is getting to the point of being in a pretty tough spot, though, because if he sits out, that could be bad for him, especially if Alexander Madison plays well, and then all of a sudden there goes some of your leverage because you'll, you'll have to come back like Melvin Gordon did eventually if they still don't pay you. So it doesn't always force their hand. Uh, maybe if the Vikings start off 0-3 or something, it would, but... You know, other than that, if the, if the offense goes well like it did with uh, Austin Eckler, then all of a sudden you lose any leverage that you had remaining. But if you play and you turn your ankle and you're out for four weeks, there goes your money too. So he's in a pretty tough spot. Um, but, you know, I still think that he's going to go out there and play. Even if Schefter said that, I just get the sense that Delvin even might not be on the same page as his agent with some of these things. Like there's a lot of pressure. He's a captain and these teammates love him, and he said a thousand percent he's going to play. So I, th I think that he actually does get out there, contract or not. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's you know, Dalvin. I have never heard a negative thing about this dude. And you, I love the way he plays, love the way he runs. I mean, you know, he's a great player, and by all accounts, a great guy. And you mentioned it, man. Like when the whole t when he was about to go to training camp, it was just weird. It's weird things going on. Weird reports, like the agent refuting things Dalvin had said, and that he was going to show up. And you know, his actions have said that he is a. He looks like a guy that will be out there week one, ready to go, ready to support his teammates. As you said, I'm hopeful that's the case. Uh, like I said, not not quite as confident as I maybe was a month ago, but. Uh, Still, still, uh, you know, lining up to draft Dalvin, just maybe not at a five as, as high as I was before. 
Okay, we'll get to the most interesting fantasy players and then other discussions to go along with it on the Vikings schedule in a minute. But I'm going to present you with some information you probably already know, and I want to get your reaction, which is that in Vikings camp, B.C. Johnson has been the number two wide receiver and not Justin Jefferson. And I don't think that that speaks to Justin Jefferson's talent because he looks the part. I think it speaks to how ready a receiver can be as a rookie to start off and what his strengths were at LSU you coming out of the slot that appears to be what his role is going to be the question is how much will the Vikings use a slot receiver right away so how as a fantasy expert are you dealing with the Justin Jefferson problem yeah I believe Vikings were a single you know lowest rate of three wide receiver formations last year and you know he'll go out there and I think Jefferson and you know in general Thielen's another one of these guys Chris Goblin where we kind of overrate like these slot receivers and, and just in terms of like they can if you're a baller you can uh, kill kill defensive backs outside inside doesn't necessarily matter I do think uh, even though Justin Jefferson was the primary slot guy at LSU I mean he has the tools and ability to uh, be a very good outside receiver as well but yeah man you said it I think uh, this is why uh, you know wide receivers in general uh, we don't see them perform at the same caliber as rookie running backs in particular I mean since 2010 we've had 26 running backs finish as a uh, you know RB2 or better top 24 at their uh, position wide receiver has only been 13 so literally half and now we have this offseason with no preseason for these guys really show what they can do in a game situation obviously you know training camp took forever to ramp up to even get pads on just people being safe it is what it is and you know it's a kind of affecting guys like Justin Jefferson so you know BC Johnson I guess you, we do need to pay attention to these incumbent uh, starters that you know might not be you know the first round pedigree or so, something with someone like Justin Jefferson but you know all the credit in the world for world to uh, BC for you know doing his thing for last season I know he wasn't the best receiver in the league or anything like that but you know productive and was able to go out there and not kill the offense by any means so I've always like I haven't really expected much from Justin Jefferson uh this year I, I thought him and Michael Pittman from the Colts could if in a best case scenario maybe lead their team in receiving touchdowns but he was going to need to do it on a uh, you know low amount of targets and just be hyper efficient with that I think the main story man is as I've been preaching all offseason Adam Thielen get this dude wherever you can he's still being treated as like a wide receiver kind of 13 to 15 I've had him six throughout the offseason and look he's a talented guy people are worried about these injuries but look he came back balled out in the playoffs never missed a game before last season we know he's a great player and seriously like the target ceiling is 150 plus and you know in fantasy like we, we want to find situations where talent meets volume I think that's what we have here with Adam Thielen get back to the conversation in just a minute but first have to tell you about something very cool from our friends at Soda Stick you probably know them for Minnesota sports inspired hats and shirts and hoodies that are screen printed in Minnesota, but Soda Stick also has artwork as well. You're going to want to check out their Man Cave prints, 20 by 24 prints representing everything Minnesota sports, from awesome throwback logos to legendary plays at first base to famous disgusting acts in Green Bay. They are on sale now for just $35. You can't go out to games at the moment, but you can liven up where you're watching them from. You want to get Soda Stick's very cool prints. Go to Soda stick.com that's s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com and use the promo code purple insider for free shipping no you're exactly right that you know bc johnson justin jefferson irv smith kyle rudolph delvin cook they're going to supplement everything around adam thielen but i mean even when you go back to 2017 when he's sharing the targets with stefan diggs or 2018 when he's sharing the targets he's still getting i 
I don't know, 130, 140 targets. And even if this team doesn't uh, pass quite as much as the 2018 team did because they were playing behind in a lot of games, maybe that'll be the case this year. But they're, they're going to him. I mean, I think that the offense is being designed around him as your starting point and then everybody else. I could see four or five guys having 25 catches, 30 catches, and then Thielen with 75 plus. Yeah, man, I think everyone's getting – they look at that Stephon Diggs, 94 targets, led the team number in 2019, and they just kind of assume that the wide receiver one of the Vikings isn't going to get that same workload. Gary Kubiak's wide receiver one has averaged 138 targets if you just go back throughout all the years that he's been coaching. And, you know, yes, Diggs only had 94 targets last year, but, I mean, he uh, was PFF's number one receiver in receiving yards on passes thrown 20-plus yards downfield. I mean, you know, this is, we talk about, like, fantasy-friendly targets and opportunities. I mean, you know, a Christian Kirk screen is not worth the same as a Stephon Diggs, you know, 40-yard bomb down the field. So I don't think Thielen's going to necessarily be this, like, full-time field stretcher, but the point is, you know, New receiver, new wide receiver one. Don't expect Thielen to only have 94 targets next season. And throughout his career, usually averages 13 to 15 yards per reception. So he is the do-it-all type of guy where they'll use him underneath, intermediate, and deep, um, which there are not too many receivers in the NFL who are who can succeed running routes at all different levels. And that's where, if you were looking for the deep sleeper with B.C. Johnson, the one concern that you would have is that he only averaged nine yards a catch last year. And that's where I wrote, if B.C. Johnson wants to take a next step in terms of his contribution, he has has to be some sort of downfield threat for them because I, I just don't see Justin Jefferson as a, a a true deep downfield type of guy. I see him much more as a yards after catch type of receiver. Yeah, I w- wish they would have done a better job at finding some speed to replace uh, Dix's role. I mean, I know they brought in Tajay Sharp. I'm not quite sure what they were expecting there. But, I mean, yeah, you, you said it, man. I mean, Justin Jefferson, even though I do think he can be more than just a strictly slot receiver, he's not really someone that's going to, you know, put the just, you know, overwhelming fear into some, you know, cornerbacks back to, uh, that, you know, they need to stay uh, over the top the entire game. So, yeah, maybe that's something they'll, you know, address a little further uh, going into 2021. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people – People do worry about Thielen. They go, well, what happens when you don't have digs there to take away attention? It's a valid concern. But, again, we're in this offense where no one else is really going to uh, command even close to the same sort, sort of target share, even if that 13 to 15 yards per reception drops to, you know, 11 or 12 or something like that. I just think the volume is going to be more than enough to make up for it. I also think that it's overrated. Like, I mean, if you go through if you go through a game and say, well, they were doubling Stephon Diggs or they were, you know, trying to put a safety over top of him, but for how many plays? I mean, you know, you might see that on a third and 10 or something. In, in 2018, uh, there was so little fear of the third wide receiver of the Vikings that they occasionally doubled both Thielen and Diggs. I know that happened in Seattle and New England, but – I doubt we're going to see that, especially with the fact that you have a running back coming out of the backfield that if you throw him a check down can turn it into 30 yards. You have Irv Smith who can stretch the field as a tight end. I just don't think that they're going to put you know, a corner and a safety right on Adam Thielen every play, and he'll have his opportunities. Now, on yeah. – uh, sorry, follow up on that? Well, I just want to talk about Irv Smith a little bit, man. Oh, I'm yeah, let's go. see what he can do. I mean, this dude flashed almost every single week last year, and, you know, for him and Kyle Rudolph to finish, like, one target, I mean, Rudolph at, like, 48, Irvers at 47, and, you know, Rudolph was the guy they really looked to more in the red zone. You know, a lot of Irv stuff was more underneath a uh, check down variety, but you just don't see tight ends with that kind of sort of ability with the ball in their hands, and you look a little bit closer, and this dude's running crisp 
routes as well. I mean, I heard some uh, news out of Vikings camp, but they were, you know, experimenting, lining him out wide in the slot. You know, we always hear this time of the year, okay, you know, this running back getting more slot reps. Maybe we'll see more two tight end formations from this team. But in Minnesota, you know, like we said, uh, starting off, I mean, this was an offense that utilized three wide receiver formations at a very low rate, similar to uh, Philly with, uh, you know, Ertz and Goddard. I think uh, Ertz Smith and Kyle Rudolph, it probably behooved the offense to get those two out on the field as much as possible. My uh, PFF is broken at the moment, but I can tell you they used him a lot as an outside wide receiver to motion or to you know get a read for Kirk Cousins. Is it the you know corner who's out there with him? Is it a linebacker who's following him? And there was one particular play. I did a film piece on Irv Smith Jr. Uh, this offseason in Kansas City where he ran a deep dig route of something like you know 18 to 20 yards and he used the leverage of the safety and broke it off sharp. And it was one of those where you went, well, that's a tight end. And that's a hit too. And he held on. That's right. Yep. You know exactly the play I'm talking about. Like that is not something you see. It was not the perfect throw and he had to take a hit and you went, Whoa, okay. If they want to do more with that, he can be almost a number three wide receiver, but then he was surprisingly good at handling himself with blocking. So, you know, this is a guy who could play, I think a lot of snaps and then we'll see how they manage the BC Johnson, Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith. And we might end up see those guys just rotate um, depending on how things go, or he could just take, you know, snaps away from Kyle Rudolph, who has never been a plus blocker. If Irv is an average blocker, then, you know, maybe he should be out there more often. I think there's a, a good chance for him to get up into that, maybe even 40, 50 plus type of, you know, catch range, I, I think. I think he's going to be a huge part of this offense, and it's looked that way in camp. Yeah, if, I would love – and unfortunately, or I guess fortunately for the Vikings, like Kyle Rudolph is not washed or anything like that. I mean, it would have been, it would be easy to say that and say Irv Smith should definitely be getting all these targets. But, no, I mean, Rudolph was still doing his thing last year. I mean, that the one-handed touchdown he had against the Cowboys where, yes. like, Cousins threw the jump pass was, like, the most unexpectedly swaggy score of the entire 2019 <laughs> season. So, but no, I mean, Rudolph was still doing his thing. But Irv Smith, I mean, I put Irv Smith – Dallas Goddard, uh, maybe in a maybe a Foster Moreau from the um, Raiders, just the backup tight ends. Where if their starter goes down and all of a sudden we get the featured guy, I mean, Irv Smith would be a top five to eight, you know, weekly tight end in fantasy if something happened to Rudolph. We'll get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, got to tell you about Feral One CBD from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from Feral One's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, Therabody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne products test four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, 
lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift away to a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering listeners buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. Only until Labor Day, go right now, theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game and every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, they're still going to throw to Rudolph in the red zone. And uh, I once had Sam Bradford on my show, and Sam Bradford talked about how Kirk Cousins needed to learn to just throw it to Rudolph because even if someone is right on him, he's still open. I mean, the guy was a, a basketball player. You could throw it up to him in any situation, and he'll be able to make the catch. Uh, or, you know, even if it's – a you know, third and seven, and you need eight yards. He'll get you eight yards if you need it. So, all right, let's run through some of these on the schedule. Aaron Jones is an interesting one to me because they drafted Mr. Insanely Sexy Legs, A.J. Dillon. But, um, you know, I still think that Aaron Jones is, is really versatile, and the fact that they did not uh, – the Packers did not draft a wide receiver, which has been well documented. Aaron Jones is going to have to get a lot of passes, right? That's what I'm hoping, man. And it's like you look at these situations where um, kind of same thing with Cleveland. They never addressed the number three wide receiver position. You know, Packers didn't address – they tried to add Devin Funches. He opted out, so they didn't do anything. So when that happens, I'm, I feel more confident in predicting guys like Aaron Jones, Kareem Hunt, to get those extra snaps in the slaughter out wide. He has a skill set to do it, but can we assume rational coaching in Green Bay with <laughs> Matt LaFleur, who, you know, infamously played Deion Lewis over Derrick Henry for the first three months of the 2018 season? It's just tough, man, because, I mean, as good as Aaron Jones is as a receiver and just overall talent, I mean, the guy had uh, – he averaged 6.8 targets per game when Devontae Adams was out last season, and Adams came back, and it went down to 3.5. Hmm. I mean, he only had one game with more than six snaps and the slaughter out wide. And that was that, uh, I think it was Sunday night versus Kansas City. He went for 150-plus and two scores as a receiver. I mean, he can do it all. And it's just frustrating when you see these kind of uh, – I mean, it happened with the Chargers a lot last year. Like Austin Eckler's sitting on the bench. Andre Patton's out there not doing anything. It's like just – if you want to have A.J. Dillon in the backfield, put Aaron Jones out wide. It's going to take more attention than if you have, you know, Equinemius St. Brown or Marquez Valdez-Scantling or whoever it might be. I hope they use him more that way. I don't really think they will because of that. I have Aaron Jones as my RB14. I mean, even if, you know, and, and the argument is that, okay, his touchdowns are going to regress. He's not going to score. 18 or whatever it was again, and he can still be a, you know, solid fantasy contributor. But, I mean, Jamal Williams, we're still hearing that they like this guy enough to keep him. So if it was just Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Jones' pass game work increased, okay, like that's our path to him being another RB1. But I'm just concerned we're going to see, you know, three RB committee and an offense that is pretty much – they can't be as good as they were last year scoring-wise because this was more or less a 500 team uh, in most efficiency rates. 
you have hit on something that has been a fundamental part of this show, which is why don't they play more than one running back on the field that are that, that are playmakers? I mean, C.J. Ham, much respect to all fullbacks, but <laughs> Alexander Madison can play. And Delvin Cook in college lined up as a wide receiver at times, and there's been just a few times throughout these first couple of years where they've lined him up at a wide receiver spot. Once uh, against Green Bay, he ran a slant, got like 25 yards. Another time there was a bubble screen where if he had gotten one block, he's breaking it out maybe for a touchdown out of the slot. I think last year they ran him on a, a jet sweep one time. It's like, okay, can you do that more often and play Alexander Madison at the same time? I think that even going forward in the NFL, that would be a great play for a lot of teams with just a focus on short passing anyway, getting the ball into the hands of guys who are the absolute best playmakers there are. Oh, yeah, man. It's just unfortunate we don't see more teams actually go ahead and try to do it. It's one of those things where you see it working. It's like, why are they not doing this more often? But I mean, last year, the only running backs to spend at least 20% of their snaps in the slaughter out wide were Tariq Cohen, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler, Naeem Hines, Duke Johnson, Alvin Kamara. And okay, yes, those guys are all fantastic receivers that deserve it. But exactly, man, like Dalvin Cook is so electric with the ball in his hands. Why not try to do these guys a favor and get the ball in space more? Because guess what's like scarier than, you know, getting your ball to a wide receiver outside? It's having Dalvin Cook one-on-one with a cornerback. I and mean, we spend all game trying to get those matchups. And sometimes it's the argument for why, like, why is Derrick Henry not used more in the pass game? I understand the guy doesn't have the same caliber hands as Christian McCaffrey, but all you're trying to do is get your playmakers in open field. And yeah, to your point, I think having, you know, two running backs, if they're your best options, if they're in your top five skill position players, why would you not try to get as many of your best players on the field as possible at once? And this is why you love Cordero Patterson so much. Yes. We discussed the last time you were on. Yes, Just sir. give him the football. <laughs> um, okay, I won't go game by game for sure because that would take extremely long and you have things to do. Uh, but uh, the two quarterbacks in week two or three for the Vikings are both fascinating to me because I just don't know what to expect. Like how raw washed is Phillip Rivers and how much will Ryan Tannehill regress? Are Super interesting questions for fantasy players who need quarterbacks, but also for Vikings defenders who have never been on the field before, like Cam Dantzler or Jeff Gladney, these young corners who have very little experience. You could sell me on Phillip Rivers and Ryan Tannehill being a huge challenge for them, or you could sell me on Phillip Rivers will throw him the ball three or four times and Tannehill will regress and look nothing like he looked last year. Man, last year was bad for Rivers. I mean, we it was – PFF tracks turnover-worthy plays, so not even necessarily like just interceptions and fumbles, but how many times he hit a defender in the chest and they dropped it. And, I mean, going back to 2017, the only guys with more – turnover-worthy plays in the season than Rivers last year were Jameis last season and Kyle Allen. And then Phillip Rivers. I mean, that deep ball, I mean, it's always wow. kind of fluttered, but more than ever, it seemed like he didn't quite have a clue where that was going. And, you know, as, look at those who he was throwing to, man. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry. It's a downgrade in Indianapolis. I mean, I know T.Y. Hilton's apparently healthy now, and I'm a fan of Curtis, uh, Paris Campbell. Hopefully he's okay after that, you know, many – car accident concussion protocol but it's just not the same caliber weapons he's got the great offensive line but everything we're hearing out of that campus he's going to be kind of dinking and ducking it anyway one of the best stats i've heard this whole offseason i think it was from matthew barry philip rivers has never had a game with more than 30 fantasy points i mean daniel jones had three 
last wow. season. And I was shocked that Rivers never got that, you know, back in the day when he was just, you know, zinging it up there to Vincent Jackson and those guys all the time. But he's never had that ceiling. Definitely doesn't have it now. Worst weapons. Maybe he can be a game manager and, you know, do a thing. That offensive line is so good. I think the defense is underrated. But, no, nah, I mean, I wouldn't worry about him too much in fantasy land. And then with Tannehill, the one thing we got to keep in mind with these guys, I'm not really targeting Tannehill too much in fantasy, but more so uh, talk, talking about A.J. Brown. I hate when people just yell regression, just and they mm-hmm. end it there. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, Tannehill's not going to be as good as he was last year because he was one of the p- most efficient quarterbacks we've literally seen over the last, like, you know, decade. And, you know, A.J. Brown, okay, he's not going to break PFF's database for most yards after the catch per reception again. But, uh, you know, shout-out to uh, Hayden Winks at Roto World who looked at these quarterbacks that are posting these, you know, astronomical touchdown rates. And the next season, yeah, they regress in that, but their pass attempts go up because mm-hmm. the coaches see how good they are. And when you see how good they are, they give you more volume. So, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, have your projections. Okay, don't put Tannehill with a 7 or 8% touchdown rate again. But just realize, like, he's probably going to be throwing the ball more often. A.J. Brown is going to be getting more targets. I mean, do not assume regression without also looking at volume. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not lining up for Ryan Tannehill, but give me all the A.J. Brown this year, man. And if that, that's the thing, if A.J. Brown didn't exist, I might say, okay, well, Tannehill won't be able to do it again. But A.J. Brown is going to help him a lot. I think it's a really good team. And uh, maybe a few more checkdowns to Derrick Henry and allowing him to, to run with the football is a good idea since they just paid him. But, I, I mean, I think Tennessee has everything to win that division. And if Tannehill is even a decent version of himself, then then he'll be good. But maybe – um, not a fantasy megastar from last year. If you picked him up in the middle of the year, oh, my gosh, uh, you probably won your league. But uh, two rookies that I want to get to, DeAndre Swift and C.D. Lamb, uh, two guys who could, I think, swing games against the Vikings. DeAndre Swift, um, you know, an all-around type of running back who has been the missing piece for the Lions since um, Barry Sanders. <laughs> I mean, what? who's the best not Barry Sanders running back like since the nineties for Detroit. Uh, you, you might be right, man. I mean, I, it I seemed like carry on people were high on carry on, but then we got carry on like coming out and like out of his carry on. Johnson said this where he goes, I cannot learn from Deandre Swift because he can move his hips and like move his lower body in ways that I physically cannot. <laughs> I mean, you said he is that missing, you know, he's, he's got theoretics receiving ability with, you know, your joint bell or whoever, you know, the, what they thought joint they had bell. with them. Good one. Good as one. A rusher. So yeah, man, he is a do it all guy. I just question, especially now since he's been banged up uh, throughout training camp. I mean, we saw how long it took, uh, Patricia and these guys to give carry on a three down roll, even though he was deserving of it. And then he got hurt. And obviously he's not going to be getting that again. And I just have my reservations and thinking Swift is going to kind of get this 60% plus snap, you know, featured workload. Cause when carry on came back last year, they were using Ty Johnson, J.D. McKissick, uh, Bo Scarborough, all in addition to it. So, okay, if it's Swift and Carrion, with Swift as the 1A, like, that's fine. It's an underrated Lions offense as long as Stafford is back there. He can put up points. But to me, this feels like more of a three or four running back committee. Mm-hmm. I have Swift, uh, RB31. Oh, I mean, okay. not, not awful. One spot, you know, ahead of J.K. Dobbins. is kind of right there with uh, Ronald Jones and Cam Akers. But, you know, I'm fine. Tar- like, zero RB people out there. Like, if you want to go for them, then by all means. But I would just temper out of minute 
minimum, you know, your kind of first half of the season expectations. Okay, before I ask you about CeeDee Lamb, Kevin Jones from 2004 to 2007 gained 3,000 yards, and Kevin Smith from 2008 to 2012 gained 2,346 yards. And then Joyke Bell is the next behind them. It has been – and then Amir Abdullah in terms of, like, guys since – Amir Abdullah and Reggie Bush both went over 1,000 yards – for that, wow, Sean Bryson got mixed in here for over a thousand yards. Hey, real quick, is Abdullah going to make the squad, Minnesota? Ugh. You know what? I just put out a fifty-three, and I haggled over that one a ton, and I did include him, and okay. I did not include KJ Osborne, their fifth-round pick. That's kind of a punt returner. I I went back and forth on that. I think they really like Abdullah, though. He's a very, very smart player, and he can be the occasional, hey, Amir Abdullah's out there on third down, and whoop, he caught a 10-yard pass. So he ends up with like six catches or something, but they all meant something. Um, and a kick returner, can punt return. I think they keep him, but I don't know. I'm going back and forth on that one. Man, because I've been hyping up uh... – Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard, Chase Evans, and Madison, because to me, those are kind of the guys that if the starter goes down, like they're going to be eating, and you got a talented back that should have, you know, a near three-down workload. I would imagine Kubiak and those guys, if Dalvin wasn't in the picture, they're going to get Madison as 15, yes. 20 carries per game. But, man, if Abdullah wasn't involved and, you know, Madison get those targets too. No, Madison's be, the guy. Would be nice. I mean, Madison is 100% the guy. If Delvin Cook is not there, Madison's going to be a three-down back. I, I think right. that they know. believe in him getting better enough at pass protection and also that, that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He proved that last year in a couple of games. So, I mean, yeah, I think he takes over almost the complete role with uh, Abdullah and Mike Boone like kind of switching in a, a little bit. Um, awesome. C.D. Lamb, though. Uh, he was my favorite receiver in the draft. And for Dallas to get him, like, wow, uh, I don't know how that happened. And, and But he is in the mix with other very, very good wide receivers, notably Amari Cooper, but in an offense that could throw all the time and be really dangerous. That's the thing, man. I mean, look, the probably the biggest miss I had last – okay, one of the biggest misses I had last year going the season was uh, just thinking O.J. Howard was going to, you know, meet his lofty ADP, and he was going, like, tight end four. Evans was a top ten tight end, and, you know, uh, Chris Goblin was a top 15 pick pretty much. And, you know, it, it, the big lesson I learned from that was, like, be careful about assuming, you know – three or four high-end fantasy guys out of the same offense. And in Dallas, this is a different situation, though, because we saw how good they were last year. It's not as unproven as it was, you know, with Bruce Arians just coming into Tampa in 2019. We saw them do it. And these guys aren't costing as much. I mean, CeeDee Lamb, like you said, man, a lot of people's, you know, wide receiver one on the board going to draft him. He's not really even being drafted inside the top 40 dudes in redraft. He's going to be starting right away. And, yeah, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup are, you know, probably the favorite to uh, lead that squad in targets, but quietly losing Jason Witten and Randall Cobb, both those guys had 83 targets last year. Only the Falcons have more available targets than the Cowboys entering next season. We know the offense is going to put up points, and I mean, if CeeDee Lamb is as good as everyone thinks he is, this guy could definitely be a year one contributor. So, uh, you know, we also got Blake Jarwin in there, and you know, the fact that none of these guys are really all that expensive, even though, again, we know this offense is going to put up points, I think they're all more than worthy targets at their uh, ADP. And C.D. Lamb, even if it doesn't work out for him, I thought he was a great route runner in college, but even if it doesn't work out for him for knowing the whole offense, he's a yards after catch guy. Like he was one of the most fun to watch. And Jalen Hurts uh, can really thank him in a lot of ways for that second round draft pick because he was marvelous. Last guy on the list. I'm going to go way off the board here. Tom Brady. 
What do you expect from Tom Brady when it comes to his fantasy production? I mean, and just really in general, because the weapons there are nuts, but he's old. How are you dealing with this problem? People were like seamlessly expecting Brady to just take Jameis's role, which, okay, obviously Brady's the starting quarterback, but like he's not going to tie for the lead league in pass attempts like Jameis did last year. I don't think this could be the same gunslinger mentality. I mean, we have Bruce Arians coming out and saying, no longer is no risk it, no biscuit his motto. Now he's on this, you know, (laughs) you can't go broke making a profit BS. And that's not really what his fantasy owners want to hear, man. And, you know, Brady, okay, I know how banged up the Patriots' weapons were last year, and he's got so many upgrades all over the place, but that was the worst version of Brady we've seen since 2006. Say what you want about the weapons. The guy's 43. I am not, you know, reaching on Brady at all. I, I have him as my QB 11, so it's I, I expect him to put up numbers, but, you know, seeing people taking them inside the top eight, miss me with that, man. I just, I'm not there with it. And I think also we need to, again, I'm trying to learn lessons from last year, and I'm looking at this offense, and it's like, really, we think Brady – 43-year-old Tom Brady's going to enable, you know, two top 12 fantasy wide receivers? I don't think so. I think Goblin uh, will probably get there. But Mike Evans, man, with Bruce Arians talking about how they're not really going to, you know, evolve his route tree to include more underneath stuff. He's still mm-hmm. their, you know, vertical guy. Like, yeah, he's amazing on vertical routes. He can do everything. Mike Evans is a complete stud. But, you know, I have Evans as my wide receiver 18, Goblin as my wide receiver 10. More so, just I don't expect this offense to enable quite as many, uh, you know, pieces, not have the same volume. Probably be a better team, absolutely. I mean, not having 30 interceptions is going to go a long way for any squad. But uh, I just think probably the uh, the hype is meet, is uh, kind of overshadowing the rifle projections. And all these guys are more or less being priced at their ceiling. I mean, give me, you know, some of these Houston or New York Giants wide receivers that are outside the top 30 where, okay – if, you know, they stay healthy, they're like, that's their worst case scenario. And the best case scenario is, you know, finishing top 15 or something. All these guys in Tampa, I mean, they pretty much need everything to work out in order to even meet value. One of my favorite things to think about is just how much different stats can be than actual performance, you know, and, and if we think about Brady, he might win games 21-14, 24-17, and throw for, uh, you know, 198 yards with a touchdown, no interceptions, an average seven yards an attempt, and, and be great. And yet, you know, if you have Mike Evans, you're going to be super mad about that, because last year they're playing from behind so often that Winston, you know, is having to throw it all over the place, but, you know, that also benefits the wide receivers when it comes to the fantasy. So that's a, a really interesting situation to kind of balance. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's there, there's never been a rushing floor. Like, it's not like that's going to come out of nowhere. So, look, is Brady still <laughs> a top eight real-life quarterback? He very well could be, but yeah. just in terms of fantasy, man, like, give me – Lamar, Mahomes, Dak, Kyler, Deshaun, Josh Allen. Like, okay, obviously you want Tom Brady under center than Josh Allen, but in fantasy, (laughs) no. You want the guy that runs around like a chicken with his head cut off and is going to go pick up as many yards as possible, man. And that is what I appreciate appreciate greatly about your analysis is uh, connecting those two things and bridging that (laughs) gap between, uh, you know, the – what actually works to win football games, and what works to win in fantasy. Well, if you lose your fantasy draft uh, after listening to this, that's on you. So great information from you, Ian Harditz. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. And I don't have your Twitter up, so say your Twitter. At iHarditz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. And check out the uh, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I have episodes out almost every day. For sure. I'm really excited about the PFF uh, Fantasy Podcast. You guys are doing awesome work. But you need to be, like, at PFF underscore Ian, don't you? Like, 
I mean, oh, I don't know that about a, that. No, you don't want to be one of those people. I, right. I, I kind of like being the. I like being the rebel in the company. I still got, you know, <laughs> I still got Donny Dap, Hunter S. Thompson as the pick. I still, you know, <laughs> I'm still the official president of the Cordero Patterson fan club. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. So so far, they've let me continue to be me. So I appreciate all my uh, fi- fine uh, coworkers over at PFF. All right, man. You do awesome work. People should follow you there and listen to the podcast for sure. And uh, we'll do it again soon, Ian. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. Hi, my name is Bobby Peters, and I've recently written a book titled The 2017 New England Patriots Pass Game Manual. If you've ever wondered what makes the New England Patriots offense, specifically their pass game, so successful over the years, this book is for you. The book breaks down in detail the schemes the Patriots use by concept. Each concept is broken down into its different variations, its statistical usage based on down and distance, and the important coaching points for how each route is run and how the quarterback reads the play. The book is available now on Amazon. Get your copy today. Did somebody say playoffs, NBA, and NHL are playing for the gold and our partners at Bet Online have you covered? Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into the fall. There's no shortage of ways to bet on hundreds of odds, futures, and props there. So take advantage of the return to sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.